may have a vision, but you don't know how well you know it until it is threatened and questioned and attacked and stretched. And the tempting is a gift from God. That's, that's the conundrum of the text for me. All I'm trying to postulate is this. I want to suggest that the tempting is God's gift to you so that God doesn't move you forward with a vision that has not been tested because any vision that has not been tested is not a vision worth moving forward with. Who am I talking to in this room? Maybe I ought to pause to say everybody ought to have a vision. Not a wish list, not a poorly thought out plan, not a pursuit fed by selfishness or short-sightedness, but a vision. I mean that to suggest that which encompasses the very purpose of my life, that which defines the greatest venue and environment and space and place and duty and job and human connectivity. It helps me to separate those who should pass through my life from those who need to be lifelong connections it helps me to differentiate from what I say yes to from what I say heck no to do I have any company here everybody needs a vision what's up everybody this is Maxwell again for another edition of bring the smoke but man I'm over here with one of the greatest preachers of our time in fact if I would have saw him when I was in seminary uh, Dr. Knight, I would have used my manuscript a little more because she used to get mad because <laughs> she, she said I need to write the sermon out. Right. So one time, I ain't even write my sermon out. I just went up there with a blank sheet of paper and said, oh, what a well-written sermon. And so then she gave me an A, but she always said I need to write it down or it didn't make no sense. Yeah. But when I saw you preach, I was like, man, he do it. Because I, you know, I wanted to try to be like, you know, T.D. Jakes and walk around, and right, that, which right. I still do, but I do both now. But anyway, I'm like, dude, when I saw you preaching with a manuscript, if I would they would have just showed you first, I would have done it. But anyway, long story short, man, we over here with Dr. Dr. William, they call him Dr. Billy Curtis is in the house, great preacher. I'm humbled that he's here. I'm going to just let him introduce himself to let you know who he is. He's definitely the man. I don't know what you say when you want to introduce yourself, but I'm <laughs> glad to be here. And uh, Dr. Carolyn Knight, a small story in Harrisburg, we shared a revival together. Whoa. Riding in a limousine. I was the noonday preacher. She was the evening preacher. Wow. As any young preacher would. I yeah. say, hey, Dr. Knight, give me some advice on my sermons. And her response to me was, you sound good for 28. Just don't sound like 28 when you're 48. Whoa. And I never forgot those words. Wow. Yeah, so always evolving, always maturing, yes. always working on the craft. But nonetheless, glad to be here. Man, Dr. Knight, yeah, that was, that was my favorite preacher. I mean, favorite teacher, even though we bump heads. And I don't really bump heads because I just didn't want to write my sermon out sometimes. You know, I, I do the worksheet and all that stuff she had me doing. But she definitely made me a better person. Mm. But but seriously, Dr. Dr. Curtis is a great entrepreneur. And you said something one day. We was in a, because my church, when I first got here, to keep it real, they, they wanted to keep me in a box. And when I first got here, God didn't let me do my real estate for eight years. Mm -hmm. But I did so many different things, and I realized why he didn't want me to do it, because he wanted me to focus. Um, I, I bled on the church about it. You know, I fussed about it from the poop mm -hmm. every, every now and then. Like, man, I, I ain't making it. It was crazy. So anyway, you said something at one of the, the meetings, and you were talking about how preachers a lot of times don't even have extra money to do to, to invest and do and create other streams of income. 
And when I was doing it, a lot of preachers, keeping it 100, was telling me, I'm doing too much. You doing this, you doing that. You need to just concentrate on preaching. I'm like, well, people get saved, people come to church, but I feel like I need to, you know, but they, but a lot of old school preachers was trying to press me seriously to mm -hmm. just do one thing. But you said, when you said it, for some reason, like when we, when you young, like people can oppress you and you don't even realize that they, they causing you to stop doing it. But when you said that and freed, you freed me up. So like just, I, I know you, first of all, we got to, hey, we got to connect because he do, he helped with like marketing for your, your, your website and stuff. So we definitely got to, yeah, pull him in because since you, you, so you don't love us that much and you don't want to be here all the time, full time and stuff, you be everywhere. So we got we to, you know, we got to pull y'all together so we can make my website stuff a little better. You know, he's supposed to come full time and then do it. You know, I ain't going to say his name because uh, he behind the camera scene, but some of y'all know who it is because y'all probably be hiring him too. But anyway, it's all good. We still love you, my dude. But seriously, on, on a serious tip, like, has any, have preachers or anyone ever pressed you and told you, like you were doing too much. No, um, so so I have to tell the story. Yeah, tell the story. I went to undergrad originally to study computer science. I worked part time at a healthcare corporation called United Healthcare as a computer operator. So I would do third shift every two weeks to make sure the scripts were run do all the backup tapes back when they used to have the old IBM Whoa. 38 mainframe, wow. right? And I'd be in the building by myself. The owner, Gene Blum, came in one night. I didn't know who he was. I'm in the building by myself. Nobody's supposed to be in there. He walks into the computer room, introduces himself, and he asked me what I was doing. I told him, and he said, I want you to get inside this computer and try to break it so you can learn it and you'll never be fired as long as you don't erase my paycheck. <laughs> so we laughed, we shook hands, and I took him at his word. He was gonna educate me in computers, send me to school, promise I'd have a career there. So when I enrolled in Morgan between freshman and sophomore year when I accepted my call, I then switched my major from computers to religion and philosophy. It was the biggest mistake I made. Mm -hmm. I'm 17, 18 years old, Back then, I was not mature enough to understand that I could have my love for computers and still offer God ministry, right? Yeah. So I go to my first church in York, Pennsylvania. I let it ride. I'm just going to do ministry, and I'm struggling. I'm talking about my wife and I trying to figure out how to pay bills. We're living in a parsonage. We, we're hiding the cars in the garage because we're late on the payments. And I just knew I'd, I had more in me than that. So that whole seven-year stretch... I financially struggled. And in the back of my mind, I kept thinking to myself, why would God shut down my love for computers? I engaged ministry and attempted to do it faithfully. And then he cut off the faucet of supply and resources. So when I got to Pittsburgh, I'm in my office one day. My then administrative assistant, Dee Sanders, comes in. And she says, I know you don't take walk-ins. And I cut her off. I said, tell whoever that is out there to come in. We're supposed to start a business. In walks my now partner, Melissa Wharton. She said she got up that morning and prayed for somebody who could finance a computer business. She had the brains and the tech. She needed the money. And the Lord told her to go to Mount Ararat. And she said she literally just obeyed, had never been to the church before, had never met me before. She just drove, walked in, asked if she, she could see the pastor. 
by the time she walked in my office, I had a long uh, pad sitting on my desk with a pen. She walked in. I introduced myself. She introduced herself. I said, sit down. Let's sketch out what business we're supposed to start. And we both start crying. Wow. That's 18 years ago. 18 years later, Church Online is you know just a premier marketing firm that does online streaming, book publishing, web development, app development, crisis management, uh, everything you can think of related to church. And the reason I did it is because I think pastors, particularly African-American pastors, should have license and freedom over their intellectual property. I didn't like when I published my first book that Westminster and Judson and Harper and all of those book publishing companies wanted 35 to 40 percent of the profit on the work I produced. That just didn't make sense to me. Plus, strategically, their distribution pool is no larger than 400000 per publishing company. Once they saturate theirs with 20% potential for you to sell, you have no place else to go. And they own your masters. We've, for far too long, we've let other people determine the cap and the ceiling, which for me is why entrepreneurship is important for an African-American pastor, because you can't rely on the church to make you prosperous. It, it just doesn't even balance, right? Mm. One, these are volunteers. You've got a diversity of economic streams in there. You have the perception of the pastor, good, bad, or indifferent anyway. You offset that by the church does what they're supposed to do and then leave me to my creative license. And if that creates a windfall, God be praised for that. If it doesn't, that's on me to try to tweak and perfect. To this day, I am the number one giver in my congregation, not just because of what they pay me, but because of what God allows me to do any place else. Wow, wow. I'm, I'm on that, I'm definitely the number one giver at mine as well, once I started doing my real estate again, once God freed me up again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, that's crazy. So this is how I knew I wanted to control my intellectual property, not only because I've seen people, why they die and wives not even taken care of, and you see G.E. Patterson on TV all the time, and he ain't on his intellectual property. Mm -hmm. So, but that ain't even what got me. I never got paid at the church at Green Forest that I worked for. I was I was a youth pastor. I did evangelism outreach. I moved. God told me to to not get this house I was gonna get. To this day, I still want that house. But <laughs> God told me I get a house and move into this ragged neighborhood they had and be the living like chaplain and stuff. To pull the neighborhood up. It was crazy what God was telling me to do. And so when I was about to interview here, they wanted a CD. And so I went to go get it. And I went to go get it, and they was trying to charge me for my CD. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I preach it for free. Not saying I'm the best, because Devil Lane can't preach like this joke, you feel me? But there, more people came when I preach. Just keeping it 100. I mean, y'all get mad if y'all want to be y'all see this, but that's why we call it Brady Smoke. So, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> they come. I mean, people would come more for me. I'm not saying I'm the man. Devil ain't saying it, but I'm just saying that house, from the people that were gone or whatever, they came more when I preached. I mean, you tell me, you sell all these CDs for, f and I ain't, I, can, I gotta buy mine? Like, no, it ain't gonna happen. 
So some lady was like, you got to crawl before you walk. Like, I'm already walking, man. Stay in your own dang on business. Like, you don't even sell the CDs. So anyway, they eventually gave it to me. And so when I got here, when I saw the contract, the, main, the first thing I did was, no, nah, I got on. They were like, no, nah, I wrote it down on my intellectual properties, set up my own contract because I'm like, when I do get married, I'm going to get there one day. Leave me alone. I'm going to get there. Hallelujah. Hey, <laughs> I'm going to get there. But when when I, I made sure that I own my intellectual property, because I'm like, why would I, why, if I'm the one writing these sermons, if I'm the one creating this stuff, why would the church get this and I don't? Now, like you said, when you get, when I get it, it curates money. So I tithe and I'm definitely tithe. Mm-hmm. You know, I definitely am, am the number one tither in my church. Now, the spells, they be putting their stuff together, and they'll try to beat me. Sorry. They probably got to edit that. I got a couple at the church. <laughs> yeah, edit that. They, 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 they'll pull it together because, like, everybody had individual then, so they could be number one. What they started doing, they, they the only one, though. See, see they, 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 look, they over it, right? That's good. They man. the only, but look, they the only couple, though. They got everybody else separate, but she, but she got it so she got it so that her and her husband they is one but it's still cool they still give more than most people individually but it makes sure that they that they got number one over me they they combine but, but it's, it's so it was good it's, it was competitive giving it's so important to hear you talking in that vein though because most people think about prosperity and or flourishing only as it relates to consumption yeah what you're gonna buy where you're gonna live what you're gonna drive what you're gonna wear to hear somebody talk about competitive giving yeah. for the benefit of the kingdom. Yes. And for me, it's my underlining conviction is matched to economic justice. Wow. That I want to be the philanthropic channel for my church and my community. I don't want that to always have to be a white organization or a white foundation, mm. right? And then you have to keep going and living within the restrictions of the foundation. I want to be into philanthropy so that the prosperity I'm trying to create will last generations. You know, you get to a certain age, you know, the driving and the wearing and the the vacation and all this stuff, that matters less. What matters more to me is I think the only path to freedom for African Americans, yes, education is important, yes, housing is important, yes, the political vote is important, but economic justice is the platform for me. Yes. I don't argue with others about whatever they think it is. For me, you have to come to the table equal to. Even us African-American pastors, when politicians come to us, we have reactionary response and relationship, but we don't always have the same wherewithal to bring to the table yes. what makes that politician accountable, because in that realm, what makes them accountable is the donor funds, yes. right? And when you come with your check, Yep. It's a different level of conversation yeah. as opposed to coming with your gripes, right. your wants, your demands, and that politician then knows, I will appease your reactionary conversation, and then when I'm elected, I'm going to take care of my constituents. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what I say. Because when I ran for office, I saw more and more why some people get jealous, but I realize why they, first of all, they come to me. I know you said when you change your major. First of all, they come to me because my doctorate in education. So they already know I know something. It's doctorate in administration, education and administration and leadership. Mm-hmm. And Master Divinity, undergrad special education, you know, other stuff I have, real estate. So they see that. But then I do give. I might not give that much to some of them. Some of them I do. 
Like if I know somebody always doing something, boom, I'm gonna make sure. So it it, it make it magnifies your voice. Like money magnifies your voice. That's why God wants to give you money because your money. Remember Ross Perot ran for president. Mm -hmm. He ain't make no sense, but he had money. Absolutely. Man, I mean, he was back there. That's why I'm so when you talk about Al Roker. Some bud back there getting on my nerves looking like he need to be on Slim Fast. He running for office. He got money. Trump don't make sense, but he got money. Money magnifies your voice, and God wants you to be blessed. And so when you say economic power, that's what that's when they shot King. When he started talking about, hey, we need to bring economic power. They, they don't care when you preaching black, 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 and separatism and stuff. It's when you start going about that economic money. When you start asking for money or when you start making the money or bringing people up, that's when they come to you. They killed Fred Hampton when he started teaching you how to become prosperous and started bringing black and white people together because then that begins to chip away at it. You understand? Mm -hmm. So we, on on this Saturday, I know this is going to broadcast afterwards on November the, the 4th, um, we're going to have a big real estate investment seminar. Mm -hmm. And I'm teaching them about real estate. I'm teaching them how to do subject twos, how you can buy a house without even putting, buy, you can just take over the mortgage mm -hmm. and, and put the deed in your name, teaching them how to do how to how to hide their money legally, you mm -hmm. know, didn't vote for Trump, but definitely know how to hide my money like Trump. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> then uh, teach them how to do tax shelter annuities, probate, and stuff like that because we need to learn how to take care of our money and always leave something for somebody else. Yeah, and traditionally that information is not taught to our right. people. Right. So the fact that you're making that a part of your church culture is yes. powerful. When I saw it on the screen, you know, while we were in worship, I thought to myself, that's powerful. And for those who are either members of New Beach and or connected to it, they ought to appreciate the fact that you are teaching them to move from being fishes of fish to fishes of men, and people suffer for lack of knowledge, yes. right? So all you can do is give them the information, what scripture says, some water, some plant, right. but God gives the increase, so that you can compete on a level playing field, yes. you already come with some deficits anyway. Always. Because the other guy's got his inheritance. The other girl, she's living off the trust fund. You're coming with college loans, getting paid exponentially less, with a glass ceiling from day one. You have to make that up by entrepreneurship. Yes. And you have to make that up by doing some things like you are teaching around real estate and investment so that we stop being the number one consumer of perishable goods Reverend. in the country, yes. right? Which to me just bleeds my heart that we spend more money on stuff that is transitory, temporary, and superficial. And how many people have family ties to South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia post-slavery who had to sell land at cheap prices because they spend all the money on consumable goods wow. rather than to keep those acreages. And now you got corporations coming down there paying exponential amounts of money for them, but they're paying them to people that don't look like us. Right. And those people bought those properties from us for, for small pennies yes. on the dollar yes. compared to what they would have gotten. My goodness. Yeah. Is that, do you know we own black people? I ain't saying minority, I'm talking about black people. We own. The, the percentage of house we own is the same percentage we had of homes in 1968. We own like, I think it's like 60% of us own homes, which is what it was in 1968. Mm -hmm. um, I'll make sure we put the right statistic up there. I might have said it wrong, but it's somewhere around there. And 
the crazy thing about it is the predatory lending got us. Mm-hmm. 2008, Obama mm-hmm. the president. But at the end of the day, one thing about us, we when we have somebody in office, a lot of our black leaders were silent because we felt like if we spoke against stuff, it might be like we speaking against Obama. Mm-hmm. And they did a lot of crooked stuff under the table. We were fussing about Paula Dean calling us the N-word. Then they changed all the voting rights. Why they why we fuss about that? We fuss about frivolous stuff. They began to change, they they started doing the predatory lending. People would come in, put 20% down on houses have an interest rate of like 18%, mm. then they'll come back and tell them it's a balloon payment in five years, which means you either need to get it refinanced mm-hmm. or you need to pay it off with cash. Mm-hmm. They didn't know nothing about the balloon notes. You done put 20% down, you're paying the 18%, so nothing really going towards the house. You're not getting, you're not building any more equity. Right. And then boom, five years, you don't even understand what it is, foreclosed. Mm-hmm. Or they'll give you a adjustable rate mortgage without a ceiling on it. So I had an adjustable rate mortgage when I first bought my first house. But the way I made sure I said, hey, it can't go up a certain percentage over time. It can only go up to this. And each year, it only can go up a fourth of a point. Can't, mm-hmm. can't do all that. You, mm-hmm. But you got to understand, you can't be so desperate for something that you don't sit up there and make sure you read the fine print. And they put a lot of us in foreclosures. In the midst of a of, of real estate boom, but they was they weren't even qualifying people sometimes. You didn't even have have you didn't even have to have sometimes they wouldn't even check your credit. And so when we look at it, you gotta we have to educate ourselves when mm-hmm. it comes to economic stability because if you don't have money, you don't have a voice. If I gotta go to your job and speak against you, you harass me, what can I say? The only check I got. One thing about me, me, when I came in, even though my church was rough, I love y'all, we good, most of the crazy people gone, so look, I apologize, (laughs) but I ain't talking about nobody at the church right now. But when I was there, God made me have to have something because he wouldn't let me do real estate, but I knew I still had the ability to make money. So at the end of the day, if you fire me, so what? I make some more money. I'm going to pastor because I'm going to lead because at the end of the day, I know at the end of the day, even if you get rid of me, first of all, God got me. Second of all, I know God got me, but second of all, he gave me a, a sound mind. So I go and do real estate. I go back and do my education because I have options. So when people try, you know, I had a lady and I ain't saying your name and you ain't the only one, but I am talking about you, but I ain't saying your name. So a lady came to me, wanted to meet with me and she was crying because she was said she had been mad at me for years. She said she was mad at me for years because I was so busy. Not that she tried to call me, not that she wanted me to help, but she was mad because pretty much saying, I guess because God was blessing me, but she said because I was busy. But God said, you favor over a few things, I'll make you rule over many things. And I believe some people get mad and you get jealous of people that you see, like you see a Dr. Curtis and you see that he has multiple streams of income and you let your jealousy rule you. Why don't you ask that person, hey, how can you help me do this? Like we ended the conversation with good and she, she, I forgave her for whatever reason. I ain't know she was mad no way, so I didn't really think I had nothing to forgive her for. Mm-hmm. But she still walked away. I said, you got any questions? Didn't ask me no questions. About why why do Senator Kane, why do other people call me when they have a crisis? How do I do this? She ain't asked me nothing. I'm sitting at the table meeting with you. I ain't know why you wanted to meet with me. I had no idea. But I could hear it in your voice that it was urgent. You got off, she got off her chest what she wanted to talk about or what she wanted to cry about because she was mad. 
but walked away with nothing but forgiveness because you didn't ask, you ain't try to pick my brain at all. So why is it, ooh, man, this Negro preached yesterday. <laughs> why is it when you invited to the table, you don't eat? Mm-hmm. I don't understand that. Why is it that we, help me, help me, dog, because it just blowing my mind because I know we just freestyling, but why, why didn't she ask me nothing? I, so I don't, so at this <laughs> stage and age, my philosophy is this. If there is nothing for people to critique and reach for, then it's not their suddenly, it's my having settled. Because God has blessed me, you pastors, whose vision has become a little wider. God has blessed us to be exposed to different people, to engage different conversations, to have different mindsets and to nurture different philosophy. But it takes courage to walk different, right? It takes courage to lead your congregation and your community different than the milieu that most of those people exist in, right? So if they're not critiquing, speculating, skeptical, suspicious, it means I'm not far enough out ahead. Because mm. I don't ever want to be common. Because if I'm common, then I'm not pushing people. Right. right. So I finally have accepted that for somebody to say you busy is their inability to categorize specifically what it is about you that's different. Because, I mean, she don't live with you. She ain't raising no family with you. So she really doesn't know you. So she's making a speculation. She's speculating that it has to, her rationale is you're busy. If she was hungry to know, then she would come to you and say, I've interpreted your life as being busy, but let me give you a chance to explain vision to me, right? Anybody in my ministry over 26 years at this church, seven at church proceeding, who has had the courage to come and say, help me understand your grind, yes. they accept the challenge to match it or do better. Yes. Those that haven't, who want to sit around and critique it, I let that kind of go in one end out the other. Right. I don't absorb that as much now as I used to because I realize some people are satisfied with mediocrity. Right. And I can't support and be a codependent in your mediocrity. Right. I'm gonna keep putting the level up here. Some people say things on just on a whole nother scope. You know, uh, many preachers' language is too lofty and too high. Well, then lift up your expectation. Yeah. Why do you want the preacher to dumb down? so that you can feel comfortable. No, lift up your expectation. Nothing satisfies me more than to hear my young adults walking around the hallway using theological terms that they hear come out of my mouth when I'm preaching. And then they go and they study what that means and now they ripping on each other with it or they using it to explain what's happening on the job. I think that's what Jesus did with the disciples. I wanna teach you how to stop being fishers of fish and I want you to elevate your life to be fishers of men. It's what God did with Moses. Your liberation motif is to kill one oppressor at a time. That ain't gonna work. Yeah. 40 years, I gotta get that out of you. And then when I bring you back, you'll be a liberation leader for a whole set of people. Yeah. That's a different motif, right? And what did they do? They complained about him because he's leading too far out in front. He's setting a standard for freedom 
that the people had to catch up to. And I think sometimes we miss that. And then people be mad because you doing it and they not doing it. Right. And it has nothing to do with the, the stuff that, you know, I just yeah. think it has to be stress. It's not the materials. It's not the, it's not even in the realm of money. It's vision. Yes. Write the vision and make it play and run with it, meaning keep it out there and keep running with that vision. I just think we clergy sometimes, we get too bogged down in the evaluation and press release at the ground level and we forget that the direction still come from the tower. And the tower is always still gonna be beckoning us so far ahead of the people because vision flows from the head down. If everybody in your context loves you and everybody in your context can match you, you ain't been doing vision work. Wow. That's why I tell my people, I was like, if you can see everything I see, then I'm not a visionary. Absolutely. The ego can see far further than a human. Absolutely. If I can't see further than you, what's the point? If I ain't stretching you, you ain't uncomfortable. Especially when you've been in the tower. Yes. Everybody else at ground level. Right. Or you've been up on the mountain and everybody else is at the base and they still can see yeah. everything you're seeing. Yeah. What you been doing while you're up there, you know? So that's that's kind of the way yes. I think about every area of my life, the pastoring, the business, the parenting, you know, um, being a husband and a brother, moving from middle age to, you know, the, I ain't gonna, I, I'm trying, I have such a hard time saying older age, yeah, middle yeah, age yeah. to higher middle age. Yeah, I know, right, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> the older we get, yeah. the less we like, I don't know, man. Yeah. Hey, hey, Jay, remember they used to want to raise a young adult? Like, hey, man, young adult right. was 32, I, 33, then I, it was 35, hey, can it be 40? Yeah. Oh, older young adult. You know, even though I had, you know, I had age, I was like, man, you know, just leave it alone, man, leave it alone. Yeah. You, you ain't young adult no more, you know what I'm saying? It's good. Now, God did promise us that we could live 120, but sometimes we don't make it, all right? So just right. let you know. But look, this is, oh, man, what I was thinking of. Vision, I preached, I taught that at Dewey when he had this ambassadors, and I appreciate the energy they gave me, and I was letting them know, man, your vision is what guides you to say yes or no. Mm -hmm. And that's why it will, it'll never be personal. Even if people take it personally, they understand, like, one of my biggest critics I had is now one of my biggest supporters. He always says, you know what I like about you? You let the vision say yes or the vision say no. And that's, what, and that's what I always teach there you. Go. If it don't match the vision, I'm not going to do it. So mm -hmm. when they write their budgets, though, it's budget time now. So I know I'm about to meet with the Christian Ed, Christian Ed, what we call all our different ministries, and they're going to bring their ideas. I'm like, it doesn't fit the vision. If you can't write it down and tell me how it fits the vision, then you're not getting the money for it. Because the Bible says narrow is the way of, of, of success and great is the way of destruction. Basically what it is is if you don't know how to say no, if you don't if you if you say yes more than you say no, you definitely don't have a honed in vision. I have to say no far more than I say yes because my vision dictates what I can say yes to. And more people gonna bring something outside of the vision than inside the vision. Unless they just hear my voice and understand me, like mo a lot, most the majority of my people at the church, at least at work, they gonna bring something inside the vision because they've been hearing it and they caught it and they know my spirit and they know where we going. You understand? And what I need you all to know, I'm gonna help some. We gonna have some pass out right quick. What 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 Moses in, in Numbers 11 when he got tired of dealing with the people and he was like going crazy. God killed me. Moses, God said, go, go get 70 elders and, and so I can put. 
that you know they know me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put the spirit that's on you on them. Mm-hmm. He didn't say I'm going to put the spirit that's on God on them. He said I'm going to put the spirit that's on them, that's on you on them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say, oh, I don't obey nobody but the Lord. But God said, how can you love me who you have not seen if you don't love mm-hmm. the person you see? So pastors, how can they say they follow God who they don't see and don't obey the vision of somebody that they see? You understand? If you're the leader and they're not listening to you, don't don't take it personal. They don't. They ain't listening to God like you say. If you're not faithful to another man's vision, then you'll never be faithful. God will never give you one anyway. So that's what you need to understand. I just, I don't know. I feel it right now. I'm serious. I feel like some, some, as a pastor out there that's that's struggling, and you don't know how to say no. You got to say no when it does not fit the vision. Don't end up like Saul and lose your kingdom. Because you're trying to listen to the people. So I'll say, man, the people made me do it. No, the vision should always dictate your yes or your no. And so in my busyness, only thing I'm busy, it matched the vision. TPBA, NAACP, New Beach Grove. I can have an event and have all them in it. Now, all of them don't fit all the time, but I can intertwine. And the Virginia State Convention because of my job. I'm disaster relief for TPBA. I'm disaster relief for... for uh. Um, the Virginia Baptist State Convention. I'm disaster relief for the National Baptist Convention. So yeah, all of them, right? They all, mm-hmm. Yeah, because they all fit, and that's what I was doing, and that's what they even pretty much made up a position for me. Your vision will make room for you. Your gift will make room for you, but you have to have a vision with it. And so now, what fit my vision, man? I know you here for a reason, because I'm definitely like, yeah, I'm a, you know, you gonna love us a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? Because we gotta get, we gotta get together and get this website stuff better and get this ministry marketed better. Because I know you understand me as a pastor and kingdom, and I know you doing it. So now I found somebody else. Anyway, I, I'm going way out. I, I, I know I'm bringing this movie. I'm trying to help y'all out. And I'm trying to help myself because I got greatness in here. And when I saw without reading your resume, I was like, hold on, I did not forgot about this part about about the website stuff. So we definitely gonna connect with you. But anyway, look, I know you got to get on the road. You didn't help me. I need to ask your advice about some of this land too before we leave. So I might make sure. Because I, I know you asked me about it, but I need to figure it out. I mean, you probably had to edit a whole bunch of stuff with me today, man. I'm just, you know, how do you say, hey, say don't be starstruck. But see, I'm starstruck, man. I'm telling you, man, I got the wisdom in the house. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, <laughs> I, I, ain't, I, don't, be, I don't get starstruck about like regular like basketball and all that. But when there's a kingdom person in the house, man, I know I can glean. Dude, I'm crunk. So anyway, just just end this up, man. I, I ain't doing no good job, man. No, tell, I think no, I tell, think tell, it's tell no, it's a great job, and I yeah. think more often than not, it should just be casual conversation. Yeah, that's how I am. Many things are caught rather than taught. Yes, and ministry is about relationship, yeah. right? And we structure so much that we structure ourselves out of the relationship. Ooh, Reverend. And and Jesus's discipleship model wasn't every day sit down. I'm gonna instruct. It was also let's go to this wedding reception. Right, let's go over to the feast. And why at the feast? Uh, y'all stay here. I got to go make a run. He yeah. goes over to the pool of Bethesda. So I think there's stuff that's organic that yes. becomes important for building the kingdom as opposed to everything being programmed. Oh, yeah, right? cool. So I appreciate the time. Uh, thank um, you, sir. You know, I certainly appreciate the opportunity to have preached to your people and to see the maturity of that kind of environment. Yeah. To watch a congregation as it's apparent that it has caught vision. And to any pastor, if you have vision and the people seem to resonate with it, have the courage to lead. 
Yeah. You know, that's the hard part is the courage to lead, to own the ability to say no, but to be compassionate enough to explain to people, your no is not my denial of you. Mm. Your no is I have to carry an anointing for the whole. I, yes. I deal with my staff about this all the time. Yeah. You know, you're cutting my vision. Well, no, I'm not cutting your vision, but the vision that God gives me encompasses the whole. You're giving me a vision on your department. Right. And sometimes the decision you're trying to make yes. for your department yes. is going to affect negatively the whole system. Right. It's going to send the whole system into right. trauma. Great idea. Maybe ill-timed. Maybe ill-placed. Maybe ill-person. <laughs> and we got to figure out when, who, or where. Right. Yes. So it's not a denial of you. And I think if you can create that environment, people don't mind hearing no. Because yes. they'd rather you say no and lead than them be sanctioned to do something and it fail. Wow. Yeah. Man, you gotta have the pan. You, that's why I tell them, I say, look, I see all the, the stuff. You see your one thing. I see the panoramic view. Absolutely. You see the closer. Yep. And so sometimes you can't see what it is. Like you've seen people zoom out and you, you know. So anyway, I, I'm I'm loving this. I'm, I'm, I'm loving this. So look, AJ, we gotta get him, man, cause, cause you know, Dude, he came the day after Halloween, man. You know what I'm saying? Because I was like, when we couldn't get him on the two, I was like, man, I don't care. I don't care who there. I knew it was a risk, man. I knew it was a risk because I was like, man, he's going to be out there all late. And, you know, old school ain't trying to come. They were there Sunday. They got some Tuesday. They had some Wednesday. And then they got some Saturday because they had to move the thing back. But, and, oh, dang, they got some Friday for TPBA. Anyway, so anyway, look, I needed to glean from you. I knew it was a reason why I needed So we definitely going to. Gonna try to pull you in for March Gospel Madness. You know what I'm saying? Cause that, that's it's everybody. That's all they want is church. So we kind of you know play off the March Madness. Mm -hmm. And we man, we be having a ball in March. You know everybody started pulling that. We got March Gladness and everybody else. I call it a church out mini me's. But anyway, I love y'all, man. But so seriously, we're gonna have a ball. Hopefully, we're gonna get Dr. Curtis here in March for for March Gospel Madness. So 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 we can have a a, a crowd. Uh, that's what, let me say this. Dude, we're hardly nobody out there. I'm talking to you, but I'm talking to the camera at the same time. When I tell you that sermon was crazy, when I tell you the pre, when I tell you I was in there like, man, I need to get my life together because I definitely want to go to the banquet, to the party. I mean, just, just we, we definitely got to get that one on the broadcast. I'm, I'm talking to my camera people. Look, y'all definitely on... We can I put it on the broadcast? Mm -hmm. All right. So I don't know what week. What this won't be this week, will it? Cause we got something else. So the week after that, hopefully everything was taped right. My media team, hallelujah! I know you got it together, cause I know it only went red that one time. Cause y'all are so awesome. All right. So we gonna put that on the broadcast, not this Sunday, but the Sunday after next. We're going to have a great time because y'all got to understand. God is inviting you to the banquet. He's inviting you to the party. When will you say yes? Mm -hmm. All right, see y'all. Bring the smoke. Hey, everybody. How you doing? This book is a book I believe everyone should buy. Not just because I wrote it, but because this book was birthed out of pain. And you learn so much during those painful moments. This is called Leadership Growth, The Power and the Pain. You can't have the power unless you've been through the pain. Bishop Morton wrote the foreword. It's been endorsed as well by our former governor, uh, Terry McAuliffe, and by our Newport News Sheriff, 
Sheriff Gabriel Morgan. I promise you this book will bless you. Please get it, not just for me, but to bless you. Go to willamaxwell.org or click on the links below and I promise you this book will bless you. If you don't just buy it for yourself, buy it for someone else. It's a short read, but it's a powerful read. I've been getting testimonies all across the country and I promise you it will bless your life.